tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in Central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spooktacular people. Welcome to this 34th episode of the History Goes Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Denise. And today, since tomorrow is St. Patrick's, Patrick's Day. Day. So happy St. Patrick's Day to everybody out there. We thought we'd go over to Ireland. We're going to Dublin and we're going to the Kilmingham Jail. This is quite a haunted place. And the neat thing about the history today, Denise, is this jail is so prominent in Ireland's political history that we're going to have to share a lot of that political history today. So people are going to get a whole lot of history about Ireland. A whole lot about the Irish. And of course, this is the political history we'll be focusing on today. Anybody who knows about the history in Ireland knows that there's a lot of religious fighting that has gone on there as well between the Catholics and the Protestants even to this day. We're not going to get into that as much because that doesn't figure into this quite as much. But, uh, you know, it was interesting. I was listening to a podcast this morning, Denise, and it was talking about the Irish emigrating over here to America. And I didn't really realize this, but, you know, we were taught in school that there were these things called indentured servants. You learned about them, I'm sure. Oh, absolutely. Well, they would say that the Irish who came over here were indentured servants and they were down on the islands as well, specifically in the West Indies, I believe. Well, they weren't indentured servants. Indentured servants had a kind of contract. It was like they were in debt to the landowner, so they were working off this debt. When the Irish came over, they came as slaves. They were slaves. They were not indentured servants of any kind. So while you have black people here who've been calling out for reparations for some of their ancestors that might have been slaves, if that's going to go on, then you're going to have a lot of Irish people that should be able to stand up and do the same thing. Plus, I think there were a lot of slaves from all different walks of life. But it was just fascinating to hear what the Irish, they were trying to escape a lot of what they were getting over there in Ireland as specifically Irish Catholics. And they came here and kind of got the same thing. It was like, no, you're not really welcome here either. Well, that's where a lot of the gangs came from early on. Mm -hmm. And um, one time I, I'd read a series of books and it was all about the different immigrants that had come in. They were written sort of like how um, that whole series with John Jakes about the American history. It was written by like families, but it was the same thing. And it was amazing how much hardship each nationality had when they came here. And, you know, the Irish, it was not good for them. No, and the thing to point out, not to get political or anything, but these people didn't come over here and have welfare or... Here's some EBT cards and Medicaid and any of that stuff. They had to come over here and work their butts off. They, they didn't get a free ride at all. No. They came through Ellis Island. And if you got through Ellis Island, yeah, it's just amazing. So today we're going to be talking about a fascinating place that played a huge part in Ireland's history. And of course, it wouldn't be on the show if it wasn't. Haunted. haunted. <laughs> so we'll get into some of the ghostly happenings there as well. There's actually a lot more history today than haunting. So for those of you that aren't as much into the spooky, creepy stuff, you might enjoy the show a little bit more today. As a matter of fact, we don't have the upgraded statistics that we can get on the show, but I can see how many downloads are happening for each of the shows that we've done. 
And Denise, I was really surprised to see that Seguin Island Lighthouse is one of our number one shows. I believe it's the third most downloaded show we've done. That's one of the most recent, which is really weird. We want to know, for you guys out there, if you just take a couple of minutes, and if you're on some social media, whether it's tweeting it at us or direct messaging us, private messaging us, commenting on Facebook somewhere, or sending us an email, if you don't have any of those measures, then just think about it really hard and maybe we'll pick it up through the air. We want to know what your favorite show up till now has been. We're on episode number 34. So including this one, everyone back from this We'd love to know what has been your favorite show. So if you take a couple minutes and let us know that, we get kind of a feel of what people are liking, what they're not liking, what they'd like to see more of. And we would really, really appreciate it if you would then share that show with at least one other person, whether it's somebody you work with, a friend, family member, tweeting it out, Facebooking it. We would greatly appreciate it because that's the main way the show gets out there is you guys share in the show if you really like it. So we would greatly appreciate that. You can go to our website, historygoesbump.com. We have an archive page there where you can grab the links. We also have the last 10 shows up on the homepage. Or if you want to go to historygoesbump.libsyn, and that's L-I-B as in boy, S-Y-N.com, historygoesbump.libsyn.com. That is our official feed for the show. You can get all of the shows there and just grab the link to it and put it up wherever. And the one thing I wanted to say, I don't want to just know what your favorite show was, and I don't think Diane just wants to know the favorite. Tell us why as well. Mm-hmm. Tell, tell us not just what your favorite show was, but why was it your favorite show? Because then we can also just know a little bit more of what our listeners are like, their likes and dislikes. Yeah, because people we've talked to personally, when I've heard them tell me what their favorite show has been so far, I've actually been really surprised. It hasn't been any any of them that I would have thought of. And like I said, I was really, I mean, I like lighthouses and everything, but I'd never even heard of Seguin Island Lighthouse. And then I just happened to, I don't know, I must have seen it in passing somewhere and looked into it and went, oh, there's a lot of information there. So that looks good. We'll go ahead and do that one. And I was just amazed. So I don't know if somebody put us up on a website somewhere or what, but we really got the downloads on that. You can go to our website, historygoesbump.com for everything else that you might want to know about the show. We have links to our blog there. Our Emporium is over there. We have an events page, which we'll soon be loading up with all of the places that we're going to be hitting on our road trip. If you want to join us along the way, meet up with us for one of the ghost tours we're going to go on. You can subscribe to the newsletter for free there. You can find out where to listen to the podcast, where to find us on social media, and where you can donate to the show. And I just want to point out on that as well, if you guys go over to patreon.com forward slash history ghost bump and you go down a little ways, we have rewards on there. And I don't know how many people have checked this out, but Denise and I are committed to making this show commercial free, no sponsoring, no corporate sponsoring. We hate that. So we don't want to have anything to do with that. We want this to be crowdfunded, listener supported. And we're not going to come on here like I've heard on other podcasts too, where they're like, if you don't donate, we're not going to be able to stay on the air, whatever. We're going to stay on the air. But we would just love if you guys have a couple of extra dollars and you want to show some appreciation our way, you can throw it our direction. And down there on the rewards, it shows you we don't want to do it where I know if anybody's listened to the first couple shows that we did, we were trying to play around with how are we going to do this to see if we could try to get the show to at least pay for itself. So we thought, well, you know, a lot of places do exclusive content for people who donate, you know, like $5 a month or whatever. Well, after we thought about it, we're like, you know, we don't want to do something where certain listeners get certain content and other ones don't just because somebody doesn't happen to have the means or what have you just, it didn't feel right to us. But 
if you do donate to us at different levels and, you know, we have it set up. I know some of you probably listen to the podcast, Welcome to Night Vale. They do a great job with this. And this is where I got the idea from. So they set it up like, you know, if you donate this much for three months at whatever level, then we send you a mug or a t-shirt or something like that. So you can see where all the rewards are. So it's not like you're just going to get nothing. I mean, obviously you're supporting the podcast and you will get our gratitude, but we have a little bit of some rewards set up for that too, if you want to check that out. And Denise, if they want to send us any feedback, maybe suggest future shows that they like to do and especially let us know which shows you like. They can do that at historygoesbump at gmail.com. All right. Are you ready to get going with the show? I definitely am. like to support the show please visit our patreon page at patreon.com forward slash history goes bump or perhaps you just want to make a one-time donation click the donate button on our website at historygoesbump.com The following account is one that has gone down in the annals of not only the unexplained, but also legends. Did it really happen? We may never know. The May 1952 edition of the Proceedings of the Merchant Marine Council details the story of the SS Orang Meden, a ghost ship that was located after a very bizarre distress signal was sent out in 1948. The contents of the signal call were, quote, All officers, including Captain, are dead lying in chart room and bridge, possibly whole crew dead, end quote. And then a few moments later, another distress single call stated simply, quote unquote, I die. A ship called the Silver Star answered the call and found the Orang Meden in the Straits of Malacca. They boarded the ship quickly when they noticed no visible crew members. What they found was true horror. Every member of the crew was dead, and all of them had died with their eyes wide open and their mouths twisted into expressions of terror. Many had their arms out in front of them as well. Even the ship's dog was dead with a snarl frozen on its muzzle. The rescuers searched the bodies for wounds and found none. As they prepared to tow the boat back to land, a fire broke out in the cargo hold. The rescuers evacuated the ship right before it exploded and sank to a watery grave. To this day, no one knows what killed the crew. Some have surmised the gas possibly overtook everyone. Others wondered about an unseen force. Was the ship carrying a secret cargo on a secret mission? The strangest thing is that although this legend has been around for decades, any proof that the Aurang Medan actually existed has never been found. No shipbuilding records or any other records. Just this account written up in one Coast Guard journal. Now that certainly is odd. Are you afraid of the dark? This day in history. On this day, March 16, in 1883, Susan Hayhurst became the first woman to graduate from a pharmacy college. She was 63 years old when she graduated from the Philadelphia College of Pharmacy. Even more remarkable at the time was the fact that Hayhurst was already a medical doctor as well. 
that makes her the first female doctor to become a pharmacist. She had graduated from the Women's Medical College of Philadelphia in 1857. She stayed at the college and served on the staff running its pharmaceutical department for many years. It should be noted that the American Pharmacist Association credits Elizabeth Gooking Greenleaf as the first female pharmacist. She had opened an apothecary in 1727 and helped her husband formulate medicines for his patients. But she did not have a degree, so it is somewhat dubious to credit her as the first female pharmacist. Another notable woman in pharmaceutical science is Ella Stewart. She fought back against discrimination at the University of Pittsburgh School of Pharmacy and became the first female black pharmacist in Pennsylvania in 1916. Today, women make up 55% of the profession. This is Christopher. And this is Joe. From the Curioso Podcast. And here at the Curioso, when we want to listen to ghost tours for the theater of the mind, we listen to the History Goes Bump Podcast. Kilmenham Jail is an immense structure found in Dublin, Ireland, that holds a place in the annals of Ireland's fight for independence and has a history that spans over two centuries. Today it is the largest unoccupied prison in the country and is now a museum, but at one time it was home for hundreds of prisoners and was the scene of many executions. Those prisoners included not only notable revolutionaries, but also ordinary men, women, and yes, children. And now it seems to be a home for the spirits of several of these former occupants. Kilmenham Jail is rumored to be haunted. Kilmenham Jail was opened in 1796 to serve as the county jail for Dublin, Ireland. The jail was considered to be the most modern jail at that time. The original building was smaller than the present-day structure and consisted of long, dark, claustrophobic hallways and cells. This area is now called the West Wing. I wonder if it's similar to the White House's West Wing. Uh, (laughs) I'm sorry, some of those people I'd like to put in jail. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) The East Wing was added and opened in 1864 with a Victorian design that was much more open and rose to three stories with catwalks circling it. Outside is the Stonebreaker's Yard. This area hosted executions. Hangings were both private and public, but starting in 1820, executions were moved inside to a small cell on the first floor that today is located between the east and west wings. Prisoners at the jail came from all walks of life, and initially there was no segregation at the jail. Men, women, and children were all housed together, up to five of them in each cell. Men were usually allowed to have some form of an iron bed, but the women and children were given straw to sleep upon. Until the 1840s, the jail had no lighting and no windows. Each cell was granted a candle that had to last for two weeks. Prisoners were served oatmeal, bread, soup, and milk for meals. When the East Wing was opened in the 1860s, separation and silence were implemented, and prisoners were not allowed to speak, and they were alone in their cells. Most of the crimes that people were jailed for consisted of petty theft or being a debtor. There was the occasional prostitute or murderer. Many of the adults would later be shipped off to Australia, but overcrowding continued to be a problem. In 1881, the prison became an all-male prison. Can you imagine five people to a cell and one little candle? 
And a lot of the kids that were in there, it was just, you know, a little petty theft. Can yeah. you imagine? Probably still because that whole area you know was what? very a lot of it was probably still in bread. and food. Yep. It was a lot of that. And then I thought, oh, isn't that nice? The men get the beds, but not the women or the children. It's like back then, it, they had such backwards ways of thinking. I guess if you were poor, you could just drown, period, as we found with the Titanic. They didn't care about steerage. But usually it's women and children first, but not in the jail. Well, and it even like in some of the island countries, we found that out that, that you could actually get pigs and goats um, had more ranking than women and children. Well, you know, in some countries to this day, over there in the Middle East, women don't rank very high either. To understand the history of the jail, one must understand the history of Ireland's fight for independence. There were two main sides on each side of the fight. The radicals wanted to be completely independent of Ireland and become their own republic. As a matter of fact, America's fight for independence and Thomas Paine's book named The Rights of Man inspired the Society of United Irishmen. The moderates wanted to write a constitution that gave them a form of independence while still under British rule. The United Irishmen formed in 1791 and became a secretive, oath-bound group that was led by a man named Henry Joe McCracken. He came from a prominent family and was jailed at Kilmanham Jail in 1796. He spent a year there, and when he got out, he led the Bloody Irish Rebellion of 1798. The fight was unsuccessful because of disorganization and an unwillingness by some to fight, and Britain put more of an iron fist around Ireland after the rebellion was put down. McCracken was on the run for a month before he was captured, and he was tried for treason and hung on the same day. This was not the end of the fight for independence. Wouldn't it be nice sometimes especially now that we have DNA and everything. So it's pretty ironclad if somebody is found guilty and sentenced to death rather than wasting away and using all of our money to appeal it for 20 years. Okay, you're out. We're going to hang you right now. And it's like in and out. It and they still people- had overcrowding. That's what's well, because they arrested people for dumb stuff. Yeah, I mean, for the most part, most of the people who were in there, you could throw them in for debt. It's kind of like when we talk about the asylums, how men, if they felt like their their wives were not uh, honoring them enough or they just wanted to get rid of their wives, they'd have them committed. So jail, probably the same kind of thing. I want to get my wife locked up or, you know, if somebody, again, a lot of these people were just debtors. So for those of you who have a lot of uh, credit out there, a lot of debt, there were things called debtors prisons and that's why they were thrown into jail because they weren't paying their debts back. Good thing we don't have those in America. <laughs> just saying. I love this guy's name, McCracken. That just sounds Irish. Look at the Irish. My name is McCracken. <laughs> <laughs> the United Irishmen tried again to form a rebellion in 1803. This time, a man named Robert Emmett was their leader. He helped the group to organize better and conceal their plans. They built weapons and made explosives. But at the moment when the rebellion was ready to launch, many people once again did not fight, and the rebellion turned into more of a riot. After the defeat, Emmett was jailed at Kilmainham and tried for treason. He was sentenced to be hanged, drawn, and quartered. The next day, he was indeed hung on Thomas Street, and he was beheaded afterwards. The block that he was beheaded upon is now on display at the Kilmainham Museum along with his death mask. That sounds like that'd be something to go see, huh? No kidding. It's like, okay, I'll let the girls know. When we come to Ireland, it's like, we'd love to go see the Blarney Stone, and we want to go and see all the wonderful sights. And while we're at it, can we see the death mask at Cumminham Jail? Well, especially that block. Yeah. Can I see the block that people got their heads chopped off on? I know. It's, It's a weird thing we keep around. And to be hanged, drawn, and quartered, probably heard a lot about this, but specifically what it was is whoever been convicted and sentenced to this, 
They were either fastened to a hurdle or a wooden panel, and a horse would drag them to where they were going to be executed. Then they were hanged, but not all the way to death. It was kind of like to the point of passing out. And then while they're in the middle of passing out, they were emasculated, disemboweled, beheaded, and quartered, which is basically chopping them into four pieces. And there were times when this took place that they would send the four pieces to, you know, the four corners of the country or something or send them out as a message. I know they did that out at the uh, London Bridge and stuff. So that's what being hanged, drawn, and quartered sounds fabulous, huh? They try to tell us that lethal injection's not humane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, gives a whole, whole different idea about that, huh? Jeez. A group calling themselves the Young Irelanders and led by William Smith O'Brien and Thomas Francis Meager started another rebellion in 1848. This was also unsuccessful, and both men were brought to Kilmenham for a time before they were shipped off to Tasmania. And in a plot fit for a movie, Meager escaped Tasmania and made his way to America, where he fought in the Civil War, leading the Irish Brigade. And the Irish Brigade was uh, really, really helpful in the fight with the Union, helping them against the South. So that was a big deal that he was fighting with them. Interesting that he was fighting against the South and a lot of the people from Ireland came in as slaves as well. So, I mean, that wasn't the only thing about the fight of the Civil War, but it was against slavery. So he was fighting against that before some of his other men would maybe even come in. Well, the really cool thing is you watch here with Ireland fighting for their independence and you look at the time periods that this is happening. Of course, we've already gotten our freedom at this point, but early on. They were watching what America was doing, and we were all fighting for independence from the same people. And as we learned when we did Edinburgh Castle, Scotland, same thing. So you've got all these countries that are fighting for their independence. And, of course, we were the only ones who managed to succeed in doing that. Because keep seeing, oh, poor Ireland. They keep, you know, not succeeding in what they're doing here. Well, of course they didn't because they're still a part of the United Kingdom. So they're, they're their own country, but not... Not in the way that they want to be their own country or had wanted to be. Of course, Scotland this last year got their chance to vote if they wanted to be completely broken off and they decided no. So it, what's interesting with this is a lot of people don't know when we fought in the Revolutionary War, about 3% of Americans fought to be free from the British. Just 3%, not very many. So when you look here on Ireland, it was the same thing. There wasn't very many. The problem is our, our 3% were very, very willing and really wanted to be free. So they were willing to make that fight. Whereas with Ireland, a lot of the time when they put the call out, eh, that people didn't show up. And that was part of the problem. The Fenian uprising followed in 1867, resulting in yet another failure. And many members of this secret oath-bound group found themselves in Kilmainham as well. The land reform movement began in 1881 under the leadership of Charles Stuart Parnell, who was an MP and leader of the Irish Parliamentary Party. Parnell and other MPs rejected the Land Act of 1881, and Parnell ended up at Kilmainham for six months. And for people who don't know, an MP is basically like our senators and representatives. The Fenians morphed after this time into another group calling themselves the Invincibles. The Invincibles assassinated Lord Frederick Cavendish, who was the British Secretary to Ireland, and Thomas Henry Burke, who was his undersecretary in 1882. Five of them were arrested and taken to Kilmainham, where they were hanged in the yard. The prison closed in 1910, but was reopened after the 1916 Easter Rising. The Easter Rising changed the political landscape in Ireland. Two groups had been formed earlier calling themselves the Irish Citizens' Army and the Irish Volunteers. The two joined forces on Easter Monday in 1916 and took over the General Post Office and other government buildings. 
They proclaimed they were now an Irish Republic. The groups managed to hold out for a week, but their efforts failed. Cunningham Jail was reopened specifically to house the rebels, of which there were hundreds of men and women. Fourteen of the men were taken out to the Stonebreaker's yard and killed via a firing squad. James Connolly was one of these leaders. Connolly had grown up in the slums and became very politically active. He led the Dublin Brigade during the Rising. He'd been severely injured during the fight. He could not walk or stand, so he was carried into the yard on a stretcher. He was then sat in a chair and tied to it. After the executions, public opinion of Britain soured greatly. People who were not as interested in the fight for independence became more supportive. Even British people were appalled by the executions, and there was an order for no more to take place. The Irish Free State formed in 1921 in the aftermath of the Easter Rising. And I think the main problem, not only did people feel like these 14 men should not have been basically executed like this, but when people heard that a guy who couldn't even walk into his own execution had been tied to a chair and killed, it just, I think for a lot of people, that would kind of leave a sour taste in their mouth. Unless it was one, you know, like a Gacy or any child molester, I don't have a problem with that. (laughs) Me either. I'm not a real fan of pedophiles, uh, so anyway. Civil war broke out in Ireland in 1922 over a disagreement about the contents of a truce that led to the formation of the Irish Free State. Members of the Free State Army took over Kilmainham Jail. The Free State government executed 77 Republicans, several of them out in the Stonebreaker's yard. The jail was opened to women again in 1923, and 300 women and girls were housed there until the Civil War ended, and all prisoners were released in 1924. The jail was abandoned until 1960, when Kilmainham Jail Restoration Committee formed. Restoration took 30 years, and the building is now open year-round as a museum and for tours. With a history like this and all of the executions, it is easy to believe that this building could be haunted. It was during the restoration work that people started reporting paranormal activity. (laughs) Governor Dan McGill lived with his family at the jail, overseeing the restoration being done by volunteers. His room overlooked the Stonebreaker's yard. One night he was settling in for bed and looked out the window. He noticed that the chapel across the way was lit up on the inside. He went to investigate and found the chapel empty. He shut off the lights and returned to his quarters. When he looked out the window again, he saw that the chapel was ablaze with light again. He went back to the chapel, saw no one, and clicked the lights off. He returned to his quarters only to find the chapel lights on again. He turned the lights off for a third time and they remained off. Not only do lights go on and off inexplicably at the chapel, but several psychics have claimed that they feel an evil presence at the chapel, particularly on the balcony area. There are some spirits that seem to have a malevolent presence, but no one is sure if they are spirits of former prisoners or wardens. As a matter of fact, a former caretaker once wrote, quote, I never felt afraid in the cells. The feelings there and the ghosts of former prisoners never worried me. The guards, however... Now, that was a different story altogether, end quote. Jail cells clang shut on their own and disembodied footsteps are heard. Cold spots are felt as well, like in this account by a man named Chris. At the bottom of the staircase, as seen in the movie The Italian Job, for people who don't know this jail appears in that movie, is a lower level. On a visit to this jail, I went down to that lower level. There is, if I remember right, three cells or rooms, which you can walk around. All rooms are the same, but on entering the middle room, I felt an icy shiver back down my back, and the hairs on my arms stood up. I feel there was a presence in that room. 
you know, it's interesting that, that the person was talking about how the, he felt more weary about the place where the wardens were rather than the spirits where the prisoners were. But we've talked in other podcasts of that the, those wardens a lot of times were probably like serial killers, psychotics or other things like that. So it makes sense that, cause a lot of them took glee and like drawing and quartering and hanging and beheading people. So it's it's kind of interesting that those are the more malevolent spirits that they feel. Well, and the conditions, as we were discussing earlier, they were not good in this jail. So if you're thinking you've got five people in these cramped, dark corridors, it probably was no picnic to be a guard or a warden there either. And there wasn't a whole lot of respect. And I, I can't even imagine, especially I just hate the thought of those women being in there. You know, we know we've talked about the old jail in St. Augustine. And one of the stories that I remember from learning about the history of that place is they had women at the jail there, too, but they had them in a separate area. So they were mm-hmm. segregated there. But Except for when it came to bath time. <laughs> exactly. Then they, they had, got the same water. Yeah, it was like they had one bath and it was too expensive to get that much water and to heat it up and everything. So once they got the bath water going, it was one man at a time. And then they finally worked their way down to the women. So girls, imagine getting into that bathtub after, I don't know, 20 or 30, 40, 50 other men have already been in that water. Yeah, I think I'd rather not bathe. No yeah. kidding. Ugh, gross. The dungeon area of the jail was being repainted. A sudden gust of wind uprooted the man who was painting and blew him into a wall. The wind was so intense that he looked to the wall for several minutes. Needless to say, he never returned to work. Another worker heard footsteps approaching him. He figured another worker was coming up towards him, but he saw no one. He heard the footsteps go past him and felt as though a presence passed him as well. Another person told a story about his father working at Kilmanham in the 1960s and that he heard footsteps reminding him of a soldier brigade in one of the corridors. He ran across the street to a local pub to tell his co-workers, who'd already quit for the day, what happened. They laughed and bought him a whiskey, but he remained shaken. Full-bodied apparitions that are seen during the day have been mistaken as actors. Visitors claim that they get that feeling of being watched. It feels as though the eyes of hundreds of prisoners are peering out from the cells. Weird feelings and cold drafts can be explained by the fact that this is a creepy cold jail built of Wonderstone. Yeah. <laughs> so again, we are open-minded skeptics. So anytime you go into some creepy limestoney building that has been abandoned for a long time, I could see why you get a cold, creepy feeling going in there. And so people's minds play with them and that kind of thing. Uh, We say, but for some of these other experiences, who knows? Hearing disembodied footsteps and things. Children do not seem to like to go into the jail. Groups of children will arrive to go on tour, but refuse to enter. Do they feel something that adults cannot? I've heard that children are more sensitive to Mm -hmm. kind of the paranormal. Cumminhen Jail is counted as one of the top 10 haunted places in Ireland. Does Kilmanhen hold more than just the essence of a long and turbulent political history? Are there spirits still there at the jail? That is for you to decide. And we do have a couple pictures, uh, one of the exterior, another one of the interior of the jail, and definitely a place I would like to visit. If you are in the area at this time, and this is in March of 2015, you should be aware that they are doing some major remodeling on the East Wing, which is the largest part of the jail. Now, it's my understanding that they are not charging as much for the tours there because you're not going to get to see the main part of the jail. 
but it still is a good tour and you still get the same stories and everything. You just don't get to see as much. So if you're going to be in Dublin, I'm not sure how long it's supposed to take. I know at least for the rest of this year, definitely go see it, get your pictures and stuff, but just be prepared for a little bit of disappointment that you're not going to be able to see everything. We do have up in the show notes, there is uh, Hidden Dublin Walks, and there's a link there for you, and they'll take you around to a lot of the haunted locations that are there, and this is one of their stops. So if you want to book something with them, you can do that. Uh, and I know we do have listeners who are over in that area that probably would have a chance to go do that, and I know one of these days we are planning to go on to Ireland ourselves. It's just a little ways down the road. So the restoration should be done by the time we get there. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's funny that our, our bucket list of places we want to go gets bigger with the more creepy. I know. <laughs> it's like we have to go everywhere now. It's like, okay, we want to go everywhere where there's beaches and surf and um, creepy old buildings with ghosts. Ta-da. Well, our next show is not a place to visit, so it won't be on our bucket list. Although this is an individual that I would have loved to have met. Our next show is going to be on the life and afterlife of the beautiful and sultry Marilyn Monroe. And Denise has no comment. (laughs) (laughs) I know who she is. Just saying. So I know when we did the Roosevelt Hotel, we talked a little bit about her ghost at that time, but that's not the only place that she seems to be hanging out. And of course, when you get into her life, you're going to hit it all. You've got conspiracy and all kinds of stuff. So we will be covering all of that in our next show. We want to thank you for joining us for this one and hope you can join us for the next one. I have been your host, Diane. And this has been Denise. You take care now. Bye-bye. Have a spooky experience that occurred at an historic location? Want to give us feedback or have a suggestion for the show? Share it with us at historygoesbump at gmail.com.